Let's get started. Um, verse 24, we're still in chapter 3. All right, we've discussed the consequence where we got into the being driven out of Eden. Uh, we talked about the three reasons why they were separated from the tree. Um, so now we come down to um, the very last bit here. It says, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. All right. So we have a cherubim, cherubims. Cherubims are, um, they're throughout the Bible. We have several stories. Um, Exodus, Exodus chapter 27. I can't even read very far. 17 through 20. All right. And then 1 Samuel 4, 4. Number 789. And I see this is Isaiah. I think I did that wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Nope, that's right. Sorry. I can never remember my numbers. 37, 16. And Psalm 99, 1. All right, so throughout, and then we'll have, um, we're going to do Ezekiel. Anybody know about Ezekiel's vision? Ezekiel 10, 1 through 20. Yeah, but I... <laughs> What's that? What's he say? Sorry. Are you in trouble? Did you say something bad? I didn't hear it either. All right. Um... Paula, it's just funny, just you know, just all of a sudden out of nowhere back in the corner, Paula just shouts out some little things every now and then. Alright, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 25, or um Exodus chapter 25. Alright. The throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, the a cherubim is typically one that um, it seems to be used to protect or guard either a uh, a, a holy item or a holy person um, <coughs> at some point, all right? So in Exodus here, there I've got several verses, but we'll just focus on these. Moses at one point is instructed on how to uh, build the temple, right? Um, and the furniture inside of the tabernacle, I'm sorry, tabernacle. If you've never done a tabernacle study, Dad does a tabernacle study that maybe one of these days I can con him into doing it. It's really, really, really cool because all the furniture and the way that it's built, man wants to say that it doesn't really matter to God as long as basically we're thinking right. Nothing in the Old Testament alludes to that. The tabernacle, I mean, it had to be certain type of linen, certain color, a certain amount of rings, a certain type of wood. There was only certain days you could enter into the holiest of holies. Of course, we know with the ark, you know, even when it was fallen over, uh, what's his name touched it, what happened to him? Yeah. Zapped, you know. So, you know, the thing is, is the details matter to God. And in this particular situation, um, God has given Moses instructions here 
on how to build certain um, furniture. Someone read verses 17 through 20 for me. I have it. Okay. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them, and the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. Alright, so the, the two cherubims are supposed to direct, the, the wings are supposed to be a certain way, but it's covering over... The mercy seat. All right. So now let's go to First Samuel four four. So the people went to Shiloh that they might bring them, bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. All right. So what did Moses? What did Moses create? He created the cherubims that sat over the mercy seat. All right, so now that this is telling us here that the ark would sit between, right? So it was kind of like the cherubims were protecting the mercy seat and the ark. All right, well, now when we jump to numbers, just this is where it's mentioned again. When Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with them, then he heard the voice of speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto them. So who do you think he's talking about there? Who's he speaking to? God, right? Now these are the cherubims that were created by by Moses that God had directing, but again, this is just verses showing that cherubims are around protecting or symbolizing protection over holy items, and in which case would be, you look confused, Angela. I am because I'm lost on the Exodus because that's not what mine says. 25. You got a king, James. I do. <laughs> what does what does yours say? So he was wrong. I was like, I'm, I'm on an Exodus 27, and is that is not what she read. What the, oh, it is 25. <laughs> yep. Okay, well then. Now you've seen if you know where your stuff is in the Bible. <laughs> 27 was talking about the tabernacle. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So I have mine saved in mind, so I just click a button and it sends me there. Right. I wrote it down wrong. I apologize. All right, now we... But you led me astray. I did. I did. I messed you up. That was completely my fault. That's why you don't trust man. All right? Oh, my God. Apparently, everybody else got it because maybe their Exodus 27. I was like, I got the wrong Bible. It says King James. It's obviously not It's not even close. I mean, the... The thought process is there, right? So, yeah, I was like, is this all right? <laughs> like, everything's falling apart. Right, right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I apologize for that. That was my fault. All right. So here you have Moses talking to God on the mercy seat between the cherubims. Um, uh, Isaiah thirty-seven sixteen. Does someone have that one? O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwells between the cherubims, thou art God... Even thou 
alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. All right. And then Psalm 99.1 just says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. Again, like I said, this is just a picture of when you hear about the cherubims. Cherubims are typically something that is guarding over or watching over some sort of item or holy object or even um, person. In this situation, it tends to be uh, where God is sitting from and talking to uh, these individuals. Now, um, when you go towards and read um, Ezekiel 10... And we don't, and we're not going to read all of those. Ezekiel ten's got this prophetic vision of basically of um, the glory of God departing from the temple. Right, all throughout this verse, these verses is the cherubims. It talks about wheels, and it talks about lions' faces and man's faces. And I didn't dive really hard into it because that's going to take a whole lot of studying, and that's probably something that. I may get someone else to talk about. Um, but the basics of it is... Daddy. Yeah, Dad. <laughs> I may have a visit from the pastor. You know, it's, yeah. um, Butch, I don't know if Butch would be done that day. Um, but anyway, so basically it, the whole vision is just about it, it is the departing of God's glory out of the temple because we all know that happened at some point. Um, so, But what it talks about in verse 20... Um, it says, this is the living creature that I saw under God of Israel by the river of Chabab, and I knew that they were the cherubims. And when you read this whole thing, it's, you know, it's God sitting on top of these winged creatures, and he's saying here that it's the cherubims. So really, it's almost like they were supporting or they were removing. The vision is them, God sitting on top of these, these cherubims, removing them out of the temple. But the, the idea of that is because of all of <coughs> my, forgive me. <coughs> it's the picture to these individuals because we just read about Moses speaking to um, God in the mercy seat between the cherubims. We have the ark <coughs> that sat between the cherubims. So when Ezekiel's, man, <coughs> I'm all choked up. trying this new protein shake and it's really chalky <coughs> um, yeah it shouldn't be, shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, we, I didn't mix it quite well <laughs> it's not supposed to be like that <laughs> it's chalky it's not supposed to be like that <laughs> luckily the wife saves me Oh, there it is. Purple. It's purple. No, she's got nothing. Don't touch me. I'm drinking the cream. It's from the wife. I have to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Begin this chapter, seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't learn my lesson. I won't have breakfast and clean clothes. I'm doing what she says. I'm sorry, but. No, or Adam didn't have clothes that needed to be washed. I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was pre. That was pre laundry. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Let's get back into the symbolism here. So here, what we have is the reason, the the, the vision that he's having of 
God sitting on top of the cherubims is to show what they've been, what's been going on this whole time. The ark between the cherubims, the mercy seat, God speaking to Noah or no Moses through the cherubims. God doesn't do anything randomly. So when there are pictures in the Bible, it, it's so the people he's talking to understand that it's God. Okay, so it's just like if God speaks to us. You know, he's, he's probably going to use things that we're understanding of, that we recognize. All right, you know, this whole time, this has been God. And I recognize that now this is, this is not that anyone's receiving prophetic visions or anything like that. But, you know, so God tries to make things understandable. That's why it's hard for a lot of us to look back at this with, you know, when you look at the New Testament and you see what's going on in the New Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament because we know the majority of the New Testament at the beginning was towards the Jewish people. So the things, the phrases that are used, the symbolism that is used, uh, the wording and, and all that, it's, to re it's so that they understand that this is the Messiah that they've been hearing about. Okay, so when, when Christians say the Old Testament doesn't matter, you can't interpret the New Testament properly without understanding the Old Testament. And that means we've got to go back. All scriptures. Absolutely. And so you have to go back and you have to understand what is going on. So when you, we as Gentiles just look at, at Ezekiel's vision, and trust me, I, I typed it in, and I was trying to find images. I think it's, I like to see images and stuff. Well, I tell you, there is a wide range of what this Ezekiel's vision image of wheels and all kinds really really funny looking but you know we're trying to if you don't focus on all these other verses that we just talked which explains about the cherubims and the mercy seat then that vision makes zero sense but when you read that vision knowing that okay the cherubims were always around where god's holies holies of and you know and them lifting god out that shows that the power of god removing um, out of the temple, okay? So, just just so a little bit of into that. So anyway, that's a cherubim. Cherubims throughout the Old Testament tend to be protectors of, and that's not everything, that was just, I just thought that little um, picture of Ezekiel's vision and whatnot, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, so we need to... Uh, when you see the idea of cherubims. Now, I think there's a guy coming tonight that's preaching. Um, if I remember correctly, he he wrote a book on angels. That's going to be available. Um, Scott Miller. Miller. Scott Miller will be here tonight. So you need to come back tonight and hear this guy, okay? I don't know what he's preaching on. I'm assuming it's going to be something to do with, I don't know. I have no idea what he's coming for. But I know he's got a book that's going to be available. And it's about angels. And angels... I think angels are probably one of the most um, misused things in society. You have a lot of spiritual people that believe in angels, but they're not really godly, and they'll call themselves spiritual. Um, so, yeah. Well, even Satan, God describes him as an anointed cherub at, at one point until he found iniquity. Yeah. Over. So, so that's why he can appear as an angel, right? Because that's. You know, Ezekiel 28, that's what it talks about. It, man. Yep. 
right, so that's that's the cherub. All right, I don't know anything about the, I'll be quite honest, I didn't find a whole lot about the sword. I, that's just going to be something I'm going to have to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, a big giant flaming sword, but it could have been a weapon of one of theirs or who knows. I mean, you got to understand visions back in that time. That's You got people trying to... Trying to you know describe stuff that they have never seen. It's like the Book of Revelations. People always say like the, the locusts and stuff could possibly be helicopters. We have no idea what a lot of that. I mean, we have ideas what it could be today, um, but I, I want to get past all that. I want to get into the two atoms. All right, there's this thing called the two atoms. All right, and I want to close this out with the two atoms. There's a couple of different things I want to to go through. You have the first atom, and then you have the last atom. All right? So, of course, we know who the first one is. All right? And then you have the second one. And there's some things here I wanted to go through. Um, the first atom, he had authority over creation. All right? Because that's what God gave him, right? God created him, told him to have dominion over all the land. The second one. Authority overall. Alright? Christ has the authority over everything. Alright? This Adam was tempted and he failed. Of course, the next one failed to be tempted. Failed to be tempted, that's right. That's good. <laughs> he got an A plus rating. Alright? And then you have this one here. He caused man to sin. Alright. This next one. Gave man the opportunity to be forgiven. And then you have this one. Disobedient. Equals death. Alright. And this one we spoke about this. The obedience equals life. And then um, last one. This one gave... Authority to Satan. And this one took the authority. Yeah. From, yeah. And there are all kinds of different um, things. You know, you have fallen to risen created from the earth created from spiritual seed natural man spiritual man death life and peace carnal and spiritual and there's all kinds of contrast but the idea is that there's the contrast between the first atom and then what they call the second atom okay so you'll hear a lot of this two atoms Thing. Now, what I want to go through is this guy uh, by the name of 
Clarence Larkin. He's got all these kinds of different drawings. And he does this one called the, the Two Atoms. And I think it's really interesting because as I was going through this, it's almost like it, it's the go a different way to present the gospel to someone. All right. So the very first first thing I want to talk about is First um, Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Okay. And so if I was going to walk somebody down through this, this would be the first one that I would start with. <coughs> And, and we all have these, you know, you have like the Romans Road and all that kind of stuff. I just really thought this one <clears throat> was interesting. So it starts out 1522. It's easy. For as in Adam all die, even so Christ shall be made alive. Right? So that's the start with, you know, the kind of like the all have sin comes short of the glory of God. All right? This verse is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15:22. That everyone in Adam says all, so I don't care who you are, all since Adam are going to die. Alright? But so in Christ shall all be made alive. So that gives you the, the idea of that you need Christ to get through, alright? So the first thing we start with is guilt. All right, and that is Genesis 3, 7, and 8. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of garden of the garden. Okay, so here you have Adam and Eve understanding that they were guilty in the eyes of God, which is why they were trying to hide. All right, so you have the guilt. <clears throat> then next you have the condemnation. And this goes all the way back from the beginning. So, so people can't just say, well, that's just something that came along later. You know, Christ is, is you know, just this made-up individual for the New Testament. Here we have, at the very, very beginning, people understanding this. Uh, Genesis 3, 16 through 18, 17. Unto the woman he set up, no. Sixteen and seventeen. Genesis three. Why is it not right? And the Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of the wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, this is 17, thou shalt not eat of the cursed tree of the ground for thy sake, for thou sorrow shalt thou eat of it in the day of thy life. Of course, 16, unto the woman, he had said, so this is the condemnation, all right, to the woman and to the man. 
Um, it just get post the one verse here. But so you have the condemnation, right? The guilt. Now we have the condemnation. And then you enter into the separation. And this is also Genesis 23 through 24. And this is the bummer part of it. The Lord God sent him forth from the garden to, the, to till the ground, and from whence forth he was taken. So he drove out man. This is the verse we just talked about. Um, so you have the guilt, you have the condemnation, you have the separation, all right, which ultimately leads to death. And that's when we jump over to Romans 5.12. And this is kind of a little gospel within of itself, but here's the death proclamation. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Amen. Okay, so we have this little, in, in the story of Genesis, we, you know, we have the guilt, the condemnation, the separation, which is basically, you know, the sending, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, all right, and then when we move over into the New Testament, again, this is why the Old Testament is so important, because the Old Testament leads us to Jesus Christ. So now we get into, end up here with the death, now we move into, this is, this is the first Adam, okay? So now when we move into the second, obviously he has to, you know, contradict, not contradict, but he has to, to block all that, all right? So when we start with the guilt, Romans 8.33, all right? That's guiltless, and then... The way out the room of my board quite right. <coughs> A33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. In Christ Jesus, we are no longer bound or charged for our sin. And that's through the accepting of Jesus Christ. So if if we are guilty in sin due to Adam, then we would have to be able to become guiltless of sin in order for Christ to be our, our Savior. All right? Well, then we do move to uh, 844, which would be no condemnation. Romans 8. There's no Romans 844. It stops at 39. 34. My bad. <laughs> I can't read today. <laughs> so I, I have a different Bible today. <laughs> yeah. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Amen. Okay. So here you have that Christ. I mean, and I like how it says, who is he who, who is it that condemneth? Who stands to us and says, you're held accountable for this sin? And it says, Christ died, and he's our intercessor. So who can stand and condemn? No one can, all right? Um, then, then, and last one would be 838 through 
39, which is the repairing of the separation. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? So what Adam did, guilt, condemnation, and separation ultimately leading to death, Christ has to be able to undo. That's right. So you have the, in him there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, and there's no separation, with only leads one thing left. Right? If there's death in Adam, what does there have to be in Christ? Life. All right? Life eternal. Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I just I just liked that, that little picture that they had there of, of that. Like I said, we did that study on Sunday nights and did the types of Christ with Joseph and uh, um, the ref, cities of refuge and, and, and so forth. And, and those are all, all really interesting. This comparison of the Adam, the two Adams, the, the Adam and, and Jesus Christ, really, when I typed in, basically I typed in Adam versus Jesus, and there was just pages of this this type of stuff. And so to tell me that it's that some guy sat down and made up this Bible is yeah. there's no way a handful of people spread out over thousands of years kept the same consistency from beginning to end. It's just it's not possible. They can't even do it in our in our textbooks. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they can't do it continuously through one textbook. That's right, you know. So yeah, and that's that's groups of people, right? You know, so don't tell me that that over thousands of years they were able to keep the solid same theme and, and keep. And when you come up with Christ, you're able to compare it with you know the Adam the way that, that it is done. Okay, but so there you have the comparison of the two Adams. You you hear that a lot. You hear people preach on the two Adams and and, and talk about the two Adams, first Adam, second Adam. But I thought this was really interesting because this, this is almost a, another way that you can present the gospel to someone using the Old Testament that doesn't matter and combining it with the New Testament. And I always like that kind of stuff is to, to be able to bring out how important. And I'll be honest, as I was growing up, that Old Testament was the most boring thing. It really was, because you always think about Leviticus. That's the first thing that pops in your head, right? Leviticus and all the laws and and, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, once, once, I, once I got saved and really started giving my life to Christ, I realized how important that Old Testament is. And a lot of that stuff I started getting into, you know, the, the ark uh, and then the temple and the tabernacle and that kind of stuff. That stuff's really, really, really interesting. 
And it tells me that God pays attention to the details. That's right. Which is the number one lie, I think, today in American Christianity is God doesn't care about the details. Hmm. And that's garbage. Now, does he still love us? Absolutely. But it matters to him. The details matter to Christ. And the Old Testament is proof to that. So, um, anyway, I know this is probably a lot a lot of craziness in our handwriting. I didn't judge well, Especially when you're preaching board. on a different Bible, but... Yes. <laughs> I'll try to bring the right one next time. <laughs> I apologize. All right. Perfection is in the details. When, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, ain't, I ain't perfect. 